1: One, don't rush to automate. Two, make sure that you have a good process because automating a bad process is not helpful. Marrying the art of sales with the science of scale. And then make sure that it's an agile system, one that's modular, that can grow and adapt and change with the business.
0: This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement, and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello. And welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by Kathy Chow, who is the SVP of Worldwide Sales Strategy and Operations at VMware. Currently responsible for a team of approximately 1,500 people looking at go-to-market strategy, intelligence, sales ops, and sales partner, sales flash partner, Enablement. Kathy, you're welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Tom. Wonderful to be here.
0: So, first off, I am very interested in what you think is the key for sales enablement in a digital world.
1: Yes. So, a lot of times, you know, I've been in this industry for 20 over 20 years, and sales enablement has been something that has not, I think, it's not understood well enough of how critical it is, especially now as we move into this digital world. And the digital world has been accelerated in the pandemic, as you know. This notion of being out there with your customers and face-to-face, we've had to learn how to do this uh, online, right? And how to be able to do that. With the explosion also of moving from on-prem to SaaS and subscription, and I'm in a software world, we're finding that the pace of software releases is happening faster and faster. And so the critical piece is understanding first all learners. Okay, so that's the first thing. Learners are not just your customers. They are your partners. They are your employees. And it's not just how do you sell, it's the technical aspect as well. So if you combine all of those factors together, you realize that it becomes a very complicated endeavor to ensure that you have everyone trained in the right aspects at the right time so that you can do the best that you can. Add on top of that is that it is not an event anymore. It is a learning in the flow of work. And that is something that we are doing at VMware. We have put in a learning experience platform that allows people to, let's say, for instance, if they're in salesforce.com and they're working on a solution and they don't know what part of the solution is, they can click right in salesforce.com and access some enablement, a learning curriculum to help them understand what it is they need to do to put forth the best quote offering for their customer. So In a way, you know, we're still have a foot in the old door, a foot in the new door. The old door is you take time out, you go take your class, you learn a little something, then you come back. But if you're not practicing it and if it's not in the flow of work, it's really difficult for that to stick and for you to truly be enabled. The last thing I'd like to say is, you know, we talked about the new products. Really, enablement is now becoming a part of the new product introduction process. Because immediately as the product is released, you need to make sure that your sales force, your partners, your employees, everyone who supports, especially if you're looking at subscription and SaaS, are supporting that product. In fact, the last launch that we had, we had as much focus training our internal operations teams on how to make sure that the offering would come to market as we did our customers and partners. Long answer, but I hope that helps kind of explain how sales enablement
0: is critical in the digital world. fantastic answer. And the the final point that you mentioned, I think is super interesting, how you had to train the internal people as much as the customers in order for you to get the right outcome. I would like to jump back to the point you made about having enablement right there in Salesforce. So I I think the core point here is that in order to enable effectively, we need to almost build in enablement and learning into into the work, not just have a week seminar annually. Okay, interesting. And so, how have you, it, like, how did you actually, is there like a separate tool that you guys have built custom to, like, how have you gone about making this happen to put the enablement in the actual work?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question, Tom. And by the way, salesforce.com is just one example. It's certainly for us where I think 70% of our Field sales time is spent in Salesforce. So that's why we, I chose that because that's a logical place where people spend a lot of their time. So obviously there's salesforce.com and it exists. We just uh, launched a learning experience platform, which we're using a third party for. And what we just completed is connecting APIs from the learning experience platform to salesforce.com. So now when you're in salesforce.com, a drop down menu will will pop up, and that's part of the API, where it will say, hey, you just put in a solution here. Uh, do you have any questions about any of these products? So it'll, it will actually pose those questions. And then over time, what we're going to be able to do is to have it be two-way, where you can actually do almost like a Google-type search in Salesforce saying, Hey, I would like to know more about this. This is something I don't understand. And that's coming in a next phase. But this particular thing is uh, something that we can put in place where we will go one way and say, Hey, would you like to know more about this solution? And then it's up to the learner to put it in there. And it's quick, easy, you know, five, 10 minute little enablement sessions of which you can always then. If you want to know more, you can go to this website, you can take a class, you can go to the seminar. But sometimes people just want to know enough about it so that they can get on with the next part of their day.
0: It all sounds great. What I'm trying to do in my head is put myself in the seat of the person who's approved the budget for this. And so I'm trying to think, how can we measure whether it's working? And the ideas I had were A, obviously like qualitative feedback from the reps. that They say they love it. That, That can be good. Uh, usage if you're able to see like usage that's that can be good but then for, maybe for the person who's signing off the budget and maybe this was you Kathy um, I, maybe there's something more like is there a way to actually see how we're enabling sales reps to like make more money for the business through this is there a way to track that like what 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 are your thoughts
1: yes well you there's two different camps or categories of metrics so the first is around the learner right learner satisfaction Uh, as you say, usage um, and and ensuring that there's a good experience. You know, these days, customer partner employee experience is really important. And that's a differentiating factor for employers. So if we can create a better experience for our field sellers, they'll be more interested in being with us than with a competitor. So that's one area. The other area is the dollars and cents. So, you know, you look at uh, pipeline creation pipeline management, pipeline acceleration and velocity, are the opportunities that we're putting in Salesforce, are they of high quality? Are they moving forward? Are we closing them? Are they closing better because they are more enabled? You know, the one interesting thing about enablement is it's never a direct correlation. So it's always difficult to have cause and effect and say, if you did this, this results in that. But in general, if you combine the employee experience with Pipeline health metrics increasing, and acceleration velocity improving. That's how you know you've got something that's working.
0: Beautiful. I'm now going to bring in my wonderful co-hosts, who's going to Alex, who's going to uh, dig a little bit more into this. Thanks very much, Tom and Kathy. Um,
2: yeah, really, really interesting pieces there on, on the sales enablement side. I'm um, So I'm not sure if. We've always gone into such detail on, on, on that side. But i really interested to focus also on that, sort of the, the operations side and just um, to hear some of your thoughts on, on how you would put together sort of systems, processes, and tools to really help um, scale up the, the go to market function and the sales and sales ops side.
1: Yes. Uh, you know, it's funny. I've worked in a lot of different companies, and always the area that gets the, the worst. Employee satisfaction scores, our systems, processes, and tools. And there's a reason. There's a reason for that. Uh, you know, it's difficult, especially, you know, and I've worked at large enterprises for us to really have one way of doing things. And if you have acquisitions, they have their certain way. You have different segments of the population if you're enterprise, if you're commercial, and if you're consumer. They have different ways that they want to go to market and have different selling motions. And then you have different products. If you have on-prem, if you have subscription, if you have SaaS, it's all different. And because of that diversity and variety, it becomes very challenging for anyone who wants to scale this, uh, to put that into a system of processing and a tool for scale. So one of the first things, I have a few things that I kind of best practices. I think. Many times, companies, enterprises want to rush to automate. And I actually think that can be dangerous because you need to settle your process first. You need to really kind of kick the tires of that process and make sure that that process is working before you automate. I've heard many instances where IT spends time to automate a process and then it doesn't even get used There's a lot of effort, focus on that. So that's one first thing. And by the way, if you automate a bad process, you're actually accelerating doing things in a bad way. So that's actually dangerous. Second is somehow, you know, you need to, we need to marry the, what I call the art of sales with the science of scale, right? And, And where do they meet in the middle? Because if you think about it, sales for a long time was very much an art. It was in the head of the sales rep uh, and their relationships and them being able to judge the buyer and really build trust. If you think about things like trust, that's something that's hard to hardwire. You, you have that or you don't have that. But then you have the science, right, of scale. And a lot of trust these days comes in with accuracy of data. So there's a data foundation that is critical in systems, processes, and tools. If you're a customer, think about yourself. If you have uh, someone who's selling to you who understands you, who has the correct data about you as your account, who knows, who can predict—that's the other thing. You know, we—it's one thing to just be able to automate and scale what we have today, but the wave of the future is really to become predictive, to really tell the customer even before they know what it is that they may need next. And if you think about, you know, how we put these systems, processes, and tools together it needs to be intuitive. Just like we were talking earlier about sales enablement and how it's in the flow of work and it's just natural. Same thing has to happen when we have our selling motion and our process for a sales rep. Because if you think about it, we have new people coming into the company all the time. We have people here for over 20 years, but it's got to be an intuitive process and there must be standards. You can't have it 50 different ways. If you have all of these different snowflakes, okay, that may be great, but that won't scale. And it should be a learning system, an agile system. It can't be hardwired by definition. So as you're learning things, are you building it so that in a modular fashion? And then are you implementing it in a modular fashion? So this notion of proof of concept and pilots is really important. Take a certain product line in a certain geography and start there first and see how that works. And then if that works, spread that out. Don't try to do the all things, you know, all in one fell swoop. And the beautiful thing about an agile system is that it can grow and adapt and change with the business. And so these are some kind of high level guiding principles that we put in place to ensure that the systems and processes and tools are there to allow you to scale. So let me just close again to say One, don't rush to automate. Two, make sure that you have a good process because automating a bad process is not helpful. Marrying the art of sales with the science of scale. And then make sure that it's an agile system, one that's modular, that can grow and adapt and change with the business.
2: Great. Thanks very much, Kathy. That was, yeah, very, very interesting, very insightful. Lots of things that it made me think of. I think... Particularly struck by as you said, don't don't rush to automate, and, and really confirming the process first. And I've certainly been in in situations where, honestly to say the process was automated, but it was almost uh, an idea was was made into a process, um without confirming the direction was correct, and all of a sudden you're working on how do you check steps and, and actually make sure this is scalable, and you're like how hey, we haven't even confirmed it's the right thing to be doing. And yeah, I just think that the value of coming up with the the idea first and the, the direction and then yes putting it into steps of the process and then yeah as you said just getting your feet wet and just checking it and getting the feedback and is this a good does this work? Um is is such a, a helpful tip when we can be very prone as you know people in operations trying to make you know everyone's life easier and it's automate, automate, automate. But absolutely let's let's make sure we're doing the right things. Cause as you said, it's dangerous because you can push the wrong things with the bad process, but also you can You can kill trust in the system effectively. So if you get it right the second time, your adoption is presumably going to be worse if you got it right the first time.
1: You're absolutely right, Alex. You said it very well. And I have another phrase that I use, which is go slow to go fast. You know, it is easy to just take something and automate it. It's actually quite easy to do that. But then you get yourself into a cycle. And if you have gone down the wrong path, as you mentioned, it's very difficult to get back to the right first step and the trust, as you say, that you build with your employees and so really making sure that you know you have the right process in place is important another thing that i didn't emphasize enough is you know this notion of data and machine learning and artificial intelligence i talked earlier about the predictive right the notion of having predictive insights into thinking about this right if you think about all the opportunities you have in salesforce and we know we always have precious few go to market resources what is the next opportunity they should work on? Which is the next one that should have the highest degree of close, And based on data, you know, information, understanding from history, but also being able to predict, that is, to me, where the wave of the future is in truly understanding and you know when you talk about SaaS and subscription, it's how do you expand that customer, right? And how do you make sure that they're consuming? your product, and having all of that data fit into a learning system that, by the way, connecting the first two questions, imagine that learning system being part of your sales enablement system and then also be a part of your day-to-day sales ops processes. You'll have a much higher return on your investment and be able to close your opportunities in a much more effective and efficient manner.
2: Yeah, brilliant. Thanks. Uh, yeah, just, I think... Because I was I was interested actually in following up on that and trying to think about well how, how do you use data in building processes and I think I was maybe thinking too small in terms of more you know, the details, steps, process, interesting. Actually, let's 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 step right back and let's think. Well, how where do we want people to focus their time, and and therefore the data can can be fairly obvious, I suppose. On that, you know, is it what what's the most likely to close? Can we can we systematize it and give it to them? And um, but yeah, still I'm still interested in, in in those in two bits there. So yeah, any other thoughts of how you can reuse really data to help with processes and at the same time and you might want to do them separately but you know um i'll we'll see if you could run with it the other thing about being intuitive because i think that's such a powerful thing you know that's almost certainly the reason behind you said you know this is the piece that um staff tend to be least happy with is systems and processes it's so, almost well, certainly because they're not intuitive because they've been worked back from an end goal rather than kind of forward from a way of working and I just think it's such a hard nut to crack. So any, any advice around either using using data to improve the processes or, or just clever ways to think about trying to make things intuitive would be super helpful.
1: Yes, I think the important thing, by the way, two very good insights uh, is to make sure you have a good data foundation. Another thing where you can go wrong is if you do not have good master data management, baseline data. Because if you're operating on the wrong data, just like you are, you know creating a bad process, if you're operating on wrong data, that will really lead you astray. So making sure that you have a good data foundation, customer master data, master data management, and the single source of truth, SSOT, that is not, it's easier said than done, especially if you're coming from acquisitions, people have their own tools, their own systems, and ensuring that we do have that solid base, that is critical in order for you to ensure that you're using data and having those insights. As far as being intuitive, I think, I think you can kill two birds with one stone. Being intuitive means you must be very linked and tied with your employee force, your sales force, your field force, your partner force. And it's asking them what makes sense. You know, I mentioned earlier about piloting and proof of concept. And throwing something out there and getting the feedback and having it being an agile system, right? agility, where maybe you come up with something that's maybe 60% correct, but then send it out there and let people provide feedback and it will learn. And if you build into the capability and the process to accept changes as they happen. By definition, you will be building a learning system that I was talking about before. But I think you kill two birds with one stone because by engaging your employees, which I think is a critical success factor, especially in this world, in the post-pandemic world, and building an intuitive process, which makes for a much easier and smoother selling motion, you will have both by doing that.
2: Okay, Great. Thank you. Um, and then just one last question from me, um, but just to sort of thinking about how you can um, really unite sort of the go-to-market teams if you're not sort of working under one kind of organized ops function. And anything you can tell us about that?
1: Yes. Well, certainly I'm sure you've had on your podcast this notion of revenue ops, where you have sales ops, marketing ops, CS ops, all under one. I typically have found the, that very prevalent in Smaller, nimbler SaaS and subscription companies. I've worked in both. Uh, I tend to like larger companies. And in larger companies, it's a different story because there's a big legacy. In fact, in larger companies, customer success is kind of a new function. You know, at VMware, we just relaunched that about 18 months ago. And we've already had marketing ops in marketing, sales ops in sales, and customer success ops in customer success. So they're in three different functions. However, what is critically important is this notion of moving from a transactional customer experience where you sell it, you know, sell services and set it and forget it, and then wait. And that's the customer's responsibility to this notion of life cycle management, where you're with a customer for life. It's not after the sale. In fact, the most important event in SaaS and subscription is consumption and adoption. And making sure that the customer understands how to use your product, and that you care about the customer outcome, that you care as much about their outcome as they do. And that is a totally different selling-motion, business model, operating model where the three functions must be connected. In the traditional larger company, you have had the sales teams do a little bit of the customer success, but really more of that sell. It And move on, and but now there needs to be a handoff between sales ops and customer success ops. And how do you do that in a way that is seamless for the customer, where the roles and responsibilities are clear? Same thing with marketing and sales ops. Marketing, their focus is on demand gen, right? Creating those leads, those qualified leads. Okay, create the qualified leads, throw it over the fence to sales, and let sales handle it. Well, you know, I know many times. You throw over those leads, those leads may die on the vine. They don't even, they're not even closed. So how can marketing ops and sales ops work closer together to ensure that the qualified leads that are put in place are actually followed up on and do close? And also, it's different for what sort of customer segment, what geography you are in. So when I say segmentation, if you talk about global accounts, very, very large accounts, Usually, those are what I call, uh, in in the case of VMware, VMware focused, where we have global account managers and we have a whole account team with customized care for that. But then you go down to enterprise, you know, where it's a mixture of the sales team and the partner team, and then you go down to we call commercial, which is those very small customers, where it's really mostly partner-led and digitally led, right? Through digital campaigns and all of that. And so there, the functions, roles change because as you move, it's more sales focused up at the top. And then when you go down to the sales and partner, and then you go down to the middle sales and partner. Um, But when you go down below, it's really partner marketing, right? And, And how do we get that moving forward? And so one of the things that we've done is we've created a project at VMware called Project Keystone, where we have our marketing ops, our sales ops, customer ops um, functions all together. And this is the first time we've approached it together, where we're creating standard processes for first-line managers that are looking across the entire customer lifecycle. From you know consideration to selling to adoption consumption landing expanding supporting, and even you know when the when the uh, relationship ends, it's important that even if you lose a customer, that you lose a customer in a good way, because you you never know they will come back. And so just making sure that we are we have an infinity loop. That's why I'm showing that, an infinity loop across that, and this consistency is needed across our partner managers or first line sales managers, consistency across all the geos, across all the segments, and then the standard metrics. We're putting in standard metrics and dashboards because in the past, if you can imagine, especially when you're selling solutions, let's assume it has three components, it may be a very high priority for two out of the three solutions. but For the third one, it is a very low priority. Well, wait a second that's not going to work. We have to all be on the same page and manage the solution. Otherwise, if we don't have all three solutions fighting for this opportunity, we may lose that opportunity. So in large organizations, this coordination, collaboration is critically important, founded on consistent metrics and processes and standard dashboards.
2: Great, thanks very much, Kathy. That was, that was really helpful. I think it's
0: time for Tom to come back
2: and use this up for
0: us. This has been a masterclass on sales and enablement in the digital age. Kathy, there's two things that really jumped out for me, or that I particularly enjoyed. First is your view of one of the key upsides to enablement being retention. So, not just, yes, we're going to sell more, but no, our sales reps are going to have a better time. They're going to stay longer. Their lives are going to be better. And that may also mean that we sell more. Um, And then the other part, and this is less of a concept, more of just the, catchphrase almost, which was the art of sales or combining the art of sales with the science of scale. Um, But we're going to finish off with with one last question, if that's okay. And it it is, who in the world of sales ops would you most like to take for lunch?
1: Oh, well, I'm going to broaden this, if you don't mind. Um, Because, as I mentioned in this last, answering the last question, sales ops and customer success ops are really lending. So who I'd like to take for lunch would be Nick Mehta, who's the CEO of Gainsight. In fact, Nick, I know you invited me to a dinner that we had, a broad dinner, really industry, an industry dinner focused on customer sales ops. I'd like to invite Nick Mehta so that we I can pay him back on showing him how sales ops is critically important for customer success ops.
0: A fantastic answer. Kathy, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time and generous with the, I guess, the insights that you've been working on and have developed at VMware, which is obviously a company that clearly knows a lot about the sales function and the go-to-market function. So I want to thank you so much for, for coming on and being so generous.
1: Thank you so much, Tom and Alex. It was a pleasure.